Hello, this is Rachel McElroy. And that sound you hear is Griffin McElroy. And this is Wonderful Nights. That was the sound of sultry <laughs> saxophone steam on the street of the city coming up from the subways. When we took last week off. Yes. We thought, it's a holiday week, let's treat ourselves. Let's treat ourselves so right. And then the week that followed, we uh, lost our child care. Had a br- 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 brush with COVID. Yeah. And so everything's, far, everything's everybody's okay. Fine. Everything's all right, but we're in we're in love lockdown over here. And yeah. it's... Uh, so our, our recordings got a little more... A little more... A little more nighttime. A little more nighttime, a little more anxiety, <laughs> a lot more exhaustion, a lot of just... <laughs> sort of like existential dread and also just more exhaustion and it's like mm. will it is this all gonna be like are we almost finished no oh, shoot a lot of those vibes but also the saxophone and the steam from the city subways yes fuck the, the music of the night love it my mm-hmm. children you're doing a bit of a drag it went a, you took it in a bit of like a castlevania direction i'm not oh, see i was it. thinking like phantom phantom was based on dracula and the castlevania series of video games oh, not a lot of people know that yeah. yeah it's just ip theft is what it is mm. so anyway this is wonderful. We'll talk about things that we like, things that we're into. Small wonders. Now, do you have them? I do actually. Okay, I okay. wanted to talk about the difficult to find but worth the watch movie, which is Muppet Family Christmas. Yeah. Oh, you can only get this one basically on the dark web. We traded yeah. some. <laughs> I won't be specific because I don't want to get busted, but we traded some pills. <laughs> For this Muppets Christmas special on the dark web. And they were just fiber gummies. It was so we're just, yeah. Lucky. But the real the real ones. Do you know what I mean? Not the ones that you can get at Walgreens, the ones that'll hollow you out. <laughs> but anyway, this Muppets movie's great. Yeah, and I don't even want to say where we found it because uh if too many people go to the same place, it'll get taken down. Isn't it just YouTube? <sighs> Maybe. <laughs> Okay. Um, So the thing that's great about Muppet Family Christmas, and I'm not talking about a very, very Muppet Christmas, which is the different film. Or the Muppet Christmas Carol. Yes. Which is, again, a third film. Muppet Family Christmas is literally across the Muppet continuum. Right. Uh, The Henson verse. The Henson verse. And so you've got, I mean, you got your Muppets from, you know, the Muppet Show. You got your Muppets from Sesame Street. You got your Muppets from Fraggle Rock. Uh, everybody's together. I think that's it. You don't get that. You don't get that dark crystal. No. Um, you don't get the. Uh, I think you get some labyrinth Muppets though. Oh, you think? I can't. I can't be a hundred percent on that. Maybe bunny picnic Muppets. Yeah. There's a fair amount, but. Um, Bowie shows up for like a second, <laughs> and the, it's like the hog, reason... his hog is just showing, and Gonzo's like, "That looks like my nose." But anyway. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, <laughs> oh, now I can't. You get forgot it. what you're talking yeah. about. No, so the reason that this is not available, you know, for example, on the Disney app, is that they did the thing that a lot of programs did from that time period, where they did not license the music in perpetuity. No, and so we are not able to see it now uh, officially. No, um, but it is so nice. It's very. It's a breath of fresh air. 
It's very so charming. Nice. Um, I just wanted to talk about an extended, like half hour long conversation Rachel and I had last night. This is my small wonder where we basically wrote up a whole business proposal for a sausage <laughs> restaurant here in Austin. I've been very much craving German food yeah. since last night when we started yeah. talking about German food. And it, I, it, I realized that there is a, just sort of a gap, a gap here in Austin where there's just there's like two German restaurants. There's lots of places that have certain things, but there's only like two restaurants that do German food. But nothing that's like that I could get right now if I needed to. And we should say that this came about because we have been watching the recommended sausage videos from our previous Oh episode. my God, whoever suggested Ordinary Sausage, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's filling the gaps. I am down to clown with whatever they want to stuff inside a sausage. Rachel is a bit trepidatious. Yeah, they get pretty gross because he will take items and grind them up and then put them in that sausage casing. Which is a lifestyle them. I really want to be a part. I really want to be a part of that community. You know, I understand that about you. Um, uh, it can be a little grotesque, uh, but charming and also has made us crave sausage. Yeah, I would love some sausage. So we came up with like several names, none of which I can remember because they probably weren't very good. But like business plans about like how we could get the word out, what kind of like combo meals we could offer or something about spetzel bites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of plays on like worst and brat but uh, none of those were good. None, none of those were good. <laughs> but we did get like spetzels, pretzels, and broads, which now saying it out loud makes it does sound like Wetzel's pretzels. <laughs> so we would bump into some stuff there. But yeah, just uh, doing a long little sort of like imagination scat with my wife uh, in bed was was a fun one. It was fun. Imagination scat with my wife in bed sounds... <laughs> yeah, don't Google that. ...not great. Uh, hey, you go first this week. Oh, hooray. Uh, my first thing is journalism. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big topic. Yeah. Um, I'm going to do just kind of a crash course through some big milestones sure. in the history of journalism. Mm -hmm. uh, this was something that I had wanted to pursue, uh, and truth be told, didn't largely because I was not allowed in. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Well, at, Mizzou's journalism yeah. school is no fucking joke. So at the at the Mizzou Journalism School, your freshman year, you apply and you have to have taken like the introductory course, which I had, but you also have to have a certain GPA, which <laughs> I did not have. And there was an appeal process, but I was too proud to do it. Yeah. Uh, and very quickly discovered that being an English major was a better fit for me anyway. And but easier, right? <laughs> well, papers are longer, I have That's to imagine. That's fair, yeah. Um, I, I have always really respected journalists. I have always loved just kind of the art of the interview. I have loved the kind of the curiosity that comes with the profession and what you can accomplish in that position. And also I feel like there are so many people uh, that are important that become so removed from your access. You know, there are, there are people in politics, there are people, you know, in movies and music that you will never meet, you will never talk to. Right. And I always really respect the like really great journalist that gets this great story that gets you access to information you wouldn't get otherwise. Yeah, of course. Um, and I mean, especially now when everything feels so crazy, 
to have like a really thorough investigative journalist look into something, it gives you like such peace of mind. It's like the opposite of being gaslit. You know, you're just like, oh, oh, there's real information out there and you got it. And now I feel safer because of it. Yeah, sure. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about like newspaper and, and television. Um, cause I think part of what really inspired me initially when I wanted to be a journalist was 60 minutes. Okay. <laughs> My family would watch it every Sunday night and it, it just like some of those, some of those pieces really like stuck with me and made me feel like this is a, like kind of a rock and roll job. <laughs> you watched 60 minutes with your parents <laughs> yeah. growing up? Yeah. That's kind of, you understand that's a bit wild. Well, I don't think it's that uncommon. I don't know. I mean, I, we well, we watched Rescue 911. That's the difference. <laughs> it had a number in it. Well, how did you decide to be a journalist? Where is it just like a practical, this is a job I could do? or uh, It was mostly a fascination with the radio station because my dad had done radio and I'd been around it my whole life. And yeah. Marshall had a great radio station. Um and Justin, at that point, Justin was writing for the Ironton Tribune, and I don't know. It's I had done like some of it in high school and kind of enjoyed it. And I also, the track I was on before that was to be a theater major, which I also realized was not the right one. But I don't know. Some of those skills proved useful, so I think I chose correctly. Yeah, people don't talk about that enough. You know, like how lack of exposure to certain careers will prevent people from pursuing things. Yes. But like, it's so clear in your family, like you all were like, well, these are the jobs there are. These two. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So newspapers, as we kind of know them today, really took off in the 19th century, thanks to high speed printing presses, uh, the expansion of elementary education, which meant more people were reading. Uh, and also the sale of advertising. So all of a sudden, the newspaper became a thing that you were trying to get the biggest circulation so you could get the most advertisers, so you could make the most money, uh, which is where you get people like Pulitzer and Hearst and the incredible musical Newsies. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> uh, and this is in like the 1840s, 1850s. Um Not much to report on back then. (laughs) Quiet times. Uh, Famously with Pulitzer and Hearst, this is where you get this like muckraking yellow journalism, which is both exposing corruption, but then also creating these sensational news stories just to sell papers. I would love to do a side-by-side comparison with some some of the stuff that comes out today with that stuff. I know. With them, they'd be like, and this man... This scoundrel is like, you, you've lost your ethics. Uh, Television news kind of became what we know it um, in the 60s, specifically with the assassination of JFK. Oh, yeah. So CBS News was the first to report it. And then CBS and then the other station at the time, which was NBC, um, we're just covering it just the entire start to finish, just 24 hour a day coverage of everything associated with the assassination, uh, which kind of created this demand among people of like, if something's happening, I want to know about it as yeah. it's happening. Um, and then, then the kind of, uh, the newsman, uh, that we kind of think of today 
from that time period was the the 1950s. Uh, Murrow, Edward R. Murrow, was a radio oh, man. Fuck yeah. God, I love... Have you seen Good Night and Good Luck? Yes. That movie rips, man. Yes. So man he... Man in the mix, crushing it. I know. It's so good. Uh, he, uh, he was primarily radio, and then in the 50s started becoming a, a television man. And Good Night and Good Luck is all about the Joseph McCarthy... Uh, series if you have not seen it i cannot recommend it highly enough everybody is putting in some work yeah. in that movie it's good although george clooney i mean george obviously clooney is george clooney in the movie. instrumental and in the creation of the film his role is all right it's yeah. whatever yeah <laughs> uh and then i wanted to talk about 60 minutes just a little bit just because that was kind of my my inspiration for this so that's been around for over 50 years now uh, it has won more Emmys than any other primetime program on U.S. television. Mm. It's uh, over 130 Emmys. Uh, and what happened was the producer of CBS Evening News with Walter Cronkite wanted to spin off a show that was supposed to be kind of like a life magazine that was like a mix of like serious and light stories. Uh, which it took him a while to kind of get support for that because everybody was holding up Edward R. Murrow and like right. investigative journalism. And he's saying like, let's make stories that are a mix of both uh, that are, you know, more accessible and more engaging for a, a wider audience. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and it was, it, obviously it was a huge hit. I, you know, I was a big fan of, uh, of the Ridge, you know, Marley Safer, Mike Wallace, Ed Bradley, mm. and of course, the late, great Andy Rooney. Oh. Maybe not great. Not late, definitely. <laughs> definitely late. Um, uh, yeah, I, it just, it's a profession that I think is really respectable. And obviously, there are people that, that don't do it well, and there are problems with it. But I think the intent of it, and when you see somebody do it well, can be a real inspiring, important thing. Yes, I agree. Mm-hmm. I wish I I wish I had done been better at certain <laughs> parts of it. It was just the confrontational aspect of it that I was just not. You, I mean, you know me as a person. I love talking to like artistic people or people making shit that I was interested in and getting to like interview them in a way that I felt like I can get some stuff out of you that will be interesting to people like me reading this. I loved that part, but yeah. anything anything more sort of like extra than that anything like more like hey hey you hey you get your <laughs> damn hands off her of course the great the great journalist uh, <laughs> from back to the future yeah uh yeah no i mean it takes curiosity obviously and and like tenacity but also i think the thing that you bring to the table is the enthusiasm yeah you know like but it's a separate it's like two separate and it's like a whole conversation that is easy to be like condescending either way about but it's just like well, i don't want you to sell yourself short Griffin. That's fair. i think you did good work out there then i'm gonna prove my journalistic chops by talking about my okay first subject which is ramune the Japanese soda uh, that is, and this is hard hitting stuff, babe. I took it all the way to the top and I was slamming my hands on a lot of desks. I threw my briefcase and I was like, it's time to stop lying. You've been lying for so dang long. It's a, it's a good soda. Have you ever actually, I know you've watched me drink it before. I have tasted it, and I have to admit that the other day when you drank it, I did look at the bottle to see how much sugar was in it, just out of curiosity. Oh, what was the, where did we land on that? 
18 grams for that little bottle. That doesn't seem like a, I guess it is quite a bit. I mean, for, for context, Henry's uh, child Z bar has like 12 grams. So it's more than a child's <laughs> granola candy bar. Okay. Well, that's not great. Uh, Ramune has a ton of different versions, uh, but the original was a lemon lime adjacent flavored bubbly soda that was first sold in Japan in uh, 1886. It was created by a Scottish pharmacist named Alexander Cameron Sim. Uh, And I didn't realize this, and maybe I should have, but the name is actually a Japanese borrowing of the word lemonade, which I find strange because holy shit, it doesn't taste like lemonade. It is not like lemonade even a little bit, I feel like. I mean, it's, it's sweet and citrusy. I don't find it citrusy. For, and it, the best way that I've heard it described is like if you took Sprite and then you put some ice in it and you let that melt a little bit and then you threw a bunch of bubble gum into the liquid. <laughs> See, I was going to say it's more like Sprite resin. Sprite. It's Sprite leavens. Uh, it's a very popular drink that you'll find at like any Japanese import shop. Like it's it is for sure going to be something that they carry. Uh, because it is like a, it's a, uh, a beloved beverage over there, especially in, in summer. It is like a, a sort of Japanese staple. Um, is this the one with the marble in it or is this it is the sometimes? one with the marble in it? And that is the most interesting thing about ramen is that folks also call it marble soda. Um, and the, the bottle that ramen comes in, if you've never seen it has a chamber inside the neck of the bottle, like a second interior chamber that you can see through the the clear glass. And it contains a small clear glass marble. Uh, And when you buy the bottle of Ramune, the the reason why that sort of shape exists is that the carbonation is powerful enough that it just pushes the marble up into the the top. There's like an O-ring on the mouth of the bottle. And so the marble is pushed up into that by the carbonation. So it's like holding its, the carbonation is holding itself in because of the way that this bottle is designed. And that's why when you want to open the the marble soda, you twist off the cap and there's a little plunger inside the cap that you have to pop out. And then you push that down into the marble to give way for the carbonation to shoot out. And then the marble falls into the the neck and then you can drink it. And it's kind of an, it's, it's, it is novel and it's cool and it's fun and it's satisfying, but it is also kind of annoying to drink out of that bottle because if you're like really <laughs> tilting it up and ripping it, then the marble just pops back into the the O ring and then it seals back up again and you you yeah can't really you know chug what? I have I have tasted this soda before. I don't think I've ever witnessed the process of opening it. Oh really? It's yeah. like it's like so fun. It's like a fun thing to do. Uh, it is. It keeps the soda bubbly as hell. Like, it is an extremely carbonated beverage. Uh, and what I found extra surprising is that it wasn't... It, Ramune did not invent this bottle design. In fact, it used to be, a long time ago, like, a fairly common way of keeping bottled sodas or bottled beers or any sort of carbonated bottled beverage carbonated. Uh, it is a a style of bottle that was designed by a guy named uh, Hiram Cod in 1872, uh, and they're called Cod Bottles, which sounds <laughs> nasty. Uh, and lots of soft drink makers in in Europe and India and Australia uh, use the bottle design to to keep their drinks fizzy back in the the 19th century. Um, but the de- the design was replaced with other sort of technology that was a little. 
I guess, cheaper to use probably, and also because it's a little bit annoying to drink out of the bottles. I think Cod Bottles sounds like the name of a villain in like an old Batman TV show. Yes. I mean, I think Oswald Copperpot is the name of the penguin. Maybe that's So what you're I'm maybe of. not that far <laughs> off. Another thing is that uh, kids used to just smash the bottles to get that's, the marbles out. I wonder that, right? Like, to me, I'm so used to a child's product that comes with a toy that I assume, like, am I supposed to be able to like keep this marble somehow? And you can. A- I've been. T- I'm an adult man, <laughs> and we got Ramane like I think we got it with some delivery like earlier last week, and I was just looking at that marble like that's a nice, that's a good marble. I mean, are we should recycle to this, smash but smash the bottle. No, are you supposed to smash the glass bottle? How do you get the marble out? You don't. You just recycle it. See, that's what I'm saying. You and I are both operating from this place of just like, well, I can't leave the marble. That's a perfectly good marble. Yes. And kids in the fucking like early 1900s were like, I want to play marbles. Of course. Marbles is a game that I play. free marble? Are you kidding me? It's like if I got a Josta and there was a pog that was instrumental in opening the soda, but then they were like, oh, but don't, you can't get the pog out without destroying the Josta. It's just, I don't know, kids were... Maybe it's like one of those Cracker Barrel puzzles where if you turn the bottle just right, Uh, the marble pops out. Maybe. (laughs) Um, Today, there's only really two main soft drinks that use the Codball design. One is Ramane. The other one is an Indian beverage called Banta that I'd never heard of before. Um, That's it. They're the only ones that use it. And that is, to me, I think pretty delightful because it is such a... I remember the first time I saw Ramane, I was like, "What uh, what the fuck is going on in there? Like, what is this space age bottle technology? As it turns out, is from 1870s and uh, is not the most practical thing, but it's charming as hell. Yeah, as evidenced by the fact that you can get a can of soda and you just just pop it, yeah, and just drink it. <laughs> like, if I if it's a hot, well, I, I think every time I've been to Japan, it's been pretty hot. Yeah, and I always reach for a fucking dripping glistening bottle of Picari sweat you don't have to fuck with any marbles with Picari sweat you just rip that or cc lemon cc lemon i cc lemon's a little too sour for me these days Picari sweat oh my god that's good i should have just done what am i this is a fucking joke (laughs) i shouldn't have done ramen when i could have talked about Picari. next week look forward to Picari sweat I'm going to do a whole thing on Japanese beverages. Also, Ramane has been produced in uh, 55 different flavors. I'm going to, and and this is not like a, isn't Japanese food so weird segment, uh, because most I think is really good. They make a melon flavor that I genuinely very much like. It's radioactive fucking ecto cooler green and i think it is super super tasty uh but there are some more i would say novel flavors those include champagne chili oil curry uh kimchi octopus takoyaki sauce teriyaki and wasabi and one that's just called disco dance i would be i would be surprised if disco dance was still in circulation might be wrong on that i'm sure i'll get fact checked by our audience I do want to drink a, a disco dance marble soda. I like thinking that maybe disco dance is just all of the flavors combined. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> that maybe not be it. That probably wouldn't be good. I think you could probably have all the like fruit fruity flavors of Ramade, and then have like a little bit of chili oil and a little bit of curry <laughs> in there, and you would know what was up. Hey, can I steal you away? Yes. Griffin? Yeah. You know what's a shame? What? 
is that when you order uh, meals to be delivered to you, they can only be for dinner. That's true because of the law. But wait, wait, what's this coming across our desk? The law is different now? (laughs) It's factor. These rebels are operating outside the boundaries of food law. (laughs) Factor has breakfast. They have midday bites. They have smoothies. Uh, There's lots of stuff you can get with Factor. What other things can you get with Factor? Well, I'm looking at this menu right now. They got a lot of tasty little options for you. I'm talking about artichoke and spinach chicken with roasted zucchini and tomato butter. Did you even know that butter could be tomato? (laughs) Not me. Shredded chicken and loaded mashed taters with, I changed the word. They say potatoes, but I said taters, precious. With mushroom (laughs) gravy, smoked cheddar, bacon, and Parmesan broccoli. Uh, This this menu is out of sight, and my mouth is just watering looking at these glossy JPEGs of tasty food. So head to factormeals.com slash wonderful50 and use code wonderful50 to get 50% off. That's code wonderful50 at factormeals.com slash wonderful50 to get 50% off. It can be intimidating trying to roll with the console cowboys in cyberspace. Um, there's always the worry that maybe they know something that you don't vis-a-vis um, website design or website functionality, and you think, I could never be that. I could never be among their illustrious ranks. Griffin, if I wanted to build a website where I ranked my favorite episodes of Ghost Rider, would I be able to do that? Well, first of all, it would be the same list as everybody else's with the Julia Stiles <laughs> episode at the top. But yes, you can do that with Squarespace. It's the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Every Squarespace website and online store comes with a suite of integrated features and useful guides that help maximize prominence among search results. Do you want to have special functionality, like maybe a members-only VIP club section of your website? You can do that. Do you want to sell stuff? Yeah, you can do that too. Do you want to have an online scheduler so that people you can, you can sell uh your time yeah you can do that also anything is possible that's um there for the commercial the super bowl commercial they had that was my voice yelling anything is possible in the wow background. yeah not a lot of people know that hey head to squarespace.com slash wonderful pod for a free trial and when you're ready to launch use offer code wonderful pod to save 10 percent off your first purchase of a website or domain we have two Bumbo Bobs, and I would love to read one of them, and then I think maybe you should read the other one of them. Do okay. You, are you okay with that? Yeah. Well, here's uh, the first one. It's for Sarah. It is from Gary, who says, Dear Sarah, you are the most wonderful person in my life. These last two years have been amazing. You are my good, good girl. Love your boyfriend, Gary. Love your boyfriend, Gary. <laughs> Yeah, it's a command, really. Love your boyfriend. That that wasn't part of the message. (laughs) This is me suggesting. Hey, love that boyfriend. Love your boyfriend, Gary. Love your boyfriend, Gary. I've got a concise message here for uh, Cookie from Remy. Cookie, you're a good friend. Thanks. That's the message. I appreciate that. I also appreciate uh, in the pronunciations you need to clarify segment of the message they've just written no but i love you guys <laughs> it's nice maybe because i don't know if it's kooky or cookie the field could have been used to better effect but we appreciate the admirate we appreciate that love it is hard out here <laughs> uh speaking of personal messages we have an announcement and that is if you want to get a personal message, now's now's your 
Now's your chance. Yes. If you want to get a your very own Blumbo job on the show, <laughs> Blumbo job is too much. Blumbo job again <laughs> yeah, you sucks. You have to stop. You have to stop. Especially uh, when we are telling people how to do it. Yes. We should it's probably important use that the we right. say the word correctly. Yeah. If you want to get your very own Junkotran message on the show, <laughs> then the way that you do that is you head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron drawing, mm-hmm. and then you can uh, sign up for a slot. The way it works is there's a lot of demand for this uh, this service, and we only do two an episode, um, so we don't have enough to fill the demand. But if you want to try and get a message on the show, just go to that link, maximumfun.org slash jumbotron drawing. You have until uh, Tuesday, December 29th. Uh, the messages are 100 bucks a pop. You'll have the option to purchase one if your name gets drawn. Uh, and we're only doing personal messages at this time no more business ones and uh we can't guarantee the air date of those messages but we will Mm -hmm. do our dang best Uh, if you have any questions you can reach out to daniel at maximumfun.org hey friends jesse here the founder of maximum fun and i have some really great news to share with you this year has brought a lot of changes for all of us And one tradition that we were grateful to be able to hold on to is our annual pin sale to benefit charity. This year, through your generosity and love of pins, you helped raise $95,400 for Give Directly. If you're a member and you bought pins, they'll ship in January. In the meantime, your support will provide direct cash relief to families impacted by COVID-19 across the United States. Even in this incredibly tough year, the Max Fund community remains extraordinarily kind. And whether or not you bought pins, you can continue to help by heading to givedirectly.org. And as always, thank you. Let me get that second one. Uh, my second one is pine smell. Pine smell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's that piney smell. That piney, piney smell. God, don't you sometimes wish we lived in the Pacific Northwest? I mean, I have never been, so it's difficult for me to say that confidently. Oh, shame. But it looks very pretty. It's great up there. God, my second home. Oh, yeah? Uh The Uh whole region. So where does that put West Virginia? First home. First home, and then where we are now? Uh, That's first home, actually. Okay. You can have more than one first home. Oh. Yeah, no. Yeah, no, everything is, it's part of a sort of tiered sort of pyramid system. Yeah. Your your cup overfloweth. It does. Got a lot of homes. (laughs) In different area homes. (laughs) Um, I I love this piney smell. Mm. I, uh, I've had many conversations with people about the perfect pine candle oh where are you at on that well i'm still i'm still not 100 percent sure oh wow you know um you know obviously the yankee candle really sets itself apart from the rest yeah but i've experienced many you know many positive positive variations of the pine candle we've been sent some fine holiday themed candles i can't remember specifically if we've gotten any pine any pine ones. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I, I will seek them out every season. Sure. Because we, you know, we do that artificial tree. Yeah, it has no stink. No. <laughs> it has the stink of plastics. 
Uh, and so I did a little research into what 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 it is about that smell. Okay. Um, this is from a website that I assume is reputable, but it is called earthsky.org. Okay, that sounds right. I mean, it seems like that, I mean, that's what we're talking about here, right? If I wanted to know what a good pine smell is and what makes it, I think Earth Sky is where I would yeah. turn to mm-hmm. for that news. Uh, so that pine smell is due to chemical compounds called terpenes. Uh, terpenes are carbon and hydrogen atoms, uh, and they are made up of pinene, which is a monoterpene that has the piney odor, and limonene, which is another monoterpene that has the citrusy odor. Are all terpenes so explicitly named? Where it's, it's one just, is one called like caramelene, and this one has, <laughs> this one smells like caramel. And you know, I didn't go to school for terpenes, but I'm sure somebody out there did. How do you say that word? C A R A M E L? I say caramel. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm a very busy woman. <laughs> Um, so many types of organisms produce terpenes, including insects, marine algae, and sea slugs. You're telling me there's bugs out there? It's like, is that Christmas time? No. <laughs> it's just that ant. I think, I think pine odor, it's those, those combinations of terpenes that give you that, that okay. smell. Uh, but I haven't ever, you know, smelled a slug. I don't know. Maybe it's pleasing. Hey, folks. It's 2020. Smell a slug. <laughs> you got a little time left to you smell a slug. got a little slug. bit of time left to smell. Wait, what? <laughs> Because in 2021, no more slugs? Well, if 2020 is the year you're going to smell a slug, then you've only got a few weeks left, is what That's I'm saying. That's true. This year's been a real fucking shithole. May as well give yourself one positive memory to go out on. Send 2020 out in a high note. Go smell a big, fat, stinky slug. And report back, please. Uh, so the reason we get that smell from the Christmas trees are that you can find a lot of terpenes in a conifer resin. So when the tree's bark is damaged, the resin flows out, hardens, and actually protects the tree. So it's like, it's like when you, when you chop that boy down, he covers himself in this resin. Yeah. And it smells real good. And he's like, ha ha ha, enjoy my stinky blood. And it's like, joke's on you, bro. I actually love the smell of your, the smell of your stinky blood is bringing my family (laughs) together. We are watching Home Alone 2 Lost in New York right now, and we are enjoying it extra because of the smell of your stinky tree blood. Thank you. Um, the amazing thing about trees, especially these these conifer trees that I didn't realize, is that that smell is actually a deterrent to bark beetles. Uh, and also when it is released into the atmosphere, it can... Uh, play a role in cloud seeding. So some scientists think that the clouds wow. that cover a conifer forest have actually been created to block sunlight and cool the forest. That's wild. So the trees release this this uh, this compound and they get some shade. Man, I like that. that nice? That's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been a lot of like claims about terpenes too. Uh, they're used for a lot of purposes. Um, they are used in turpentine, uh, which is that solvent oh, that thins out the paints. Yeah. Uh, they're also used in fragrances and cleaning products and in medicines. Um, they have started to explore whether it could be a replacement for a petroleum based chemical, uh, for things like plastic and, and fuel. Okay. But the problem is that trees don't produce a lot of terpenes, so yeah. it's not really economically feasible Just to use, think. Just use more trees. 
<laughs> we got a lot of them, right? You kind of solve one problem by creating another with that one. Yeah. I watched Ferngully. I think the message of that movie is there's always more trees. Did <laughs> yes. I watch it Did right? Did I take that away? I don't think so. Uh, so yeah, so pine, spruce, and fir trees all produce these terpenes. Um, and there is there is also uh, apparently some vitamin C in that, that pine bark and needles too. So there's a lot of stuff going on there. I used to chew pine needles. I remember very clearly they were like on campus at Marshall and there was a big one growing out right behind the theater. And so just like green room breaks, you know, dip back, hit up that tree on my way out, grab a needle, chew on it on my way home. It's nice. It's very rustic. That does sound like some people had toothpicks and you're like, nah, I'm more, more earthy. I like it. It tasted good as hell. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you get a sappy one and those didn't taste especially good. I get why those beetles are like, nope. Next tree. The pointy ones, guys, are gross. Can you do my second thing? Yes. My second thing is a game called Settlers of Catan. Actually, these days, it's just called Catan. I think they dropped the Settlers of. But the traditional title was the Settlers of, of Catan. Or maybe Catan. Again, depending on... But then you start thinking about Chris Catan. And then you start fucking laughing so hard that you can't focus. You think about Mango. And it's like, oh no, I'm, I lost control of my body. God, I miss playing Catan. Our friends here in town are not big like gamers, especially like board gamers. But for whatever reason, Catan for a, a a long period of time was like the thing we did. Yeah, when we it all surprised got together. it surprised me because I feel like we had a lot of games that I think were faster paced and more accessible. But for whatever reason, Catan was the one that really took off. We would have game nights with like me and some of my buddies where we would go over and just play one game of Catan. And that's it. That's like all we did. But for whatever reason, like everybody was so into it, despite the fact that they didn't really touch other board games. They just got really into Catan. You know, I heard you can play that online. I wonder if that would be a fun solution for our oh, friends. Oh, that's not a bad idea. Yeah, I think there's a board game version mm-hmm. or a, a, a like an app that you can play. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I just sounded like I was 400,000 years old. <laughs> uh, Catan is a German resource management board game where uh, if you're just playing the basic version, you and two to three other players sort of vie for control for uh, of, of an island that is made out of these little hex-shaped pieces. Apparently on new versions, uh, it, it, traditionally you could pop the hexes in and out, so every time you played it was like a different board, but I think that the new versions of Catan just have a static board that is like designed for optimal fairness, which is interesting. I don't know. I have to I have to do more research into that. Basically, the different hexes have different resources on them and you build little cities on the hexes to gather those resources and build more cities and roads and things like that to try and accomplish different objectives and collect uh, enough victory points to win before your opponents. Yeah, and there are all these different strategies that I've witnessed people use. I don't particularly have a favorite. Do you have like a favorite go-to? I, I usually will try and be a little bit flexible for the first few rounds. So to give you an example, you could get victory points for building towns, and then you can get more victory points for upgrading them to cities, and then you get victory points on these little basically chance cards that you can spend resources on. Uh, and you can build road. You have to build roads to connect your cities, and then whoever has the longest road gets victory points, but you can yeah. try and steal that from other people. So like... I kind of watch what everybody else is doing and then see like if there is a way for me to snake 
one of the things that nobody's going for very easily. Yeah. Um, that is what is so brilliant about this game, right? Like, I, I know what I said earlier sounded complicated, but that's it. Like, that's, there's a robber you move around to screw people over. Like, there really isn't much to the game other than that. And there are a million different ways that you can try and play it to, to win. Uh, and because of the way that, like, you build your first cities, like... Every time you play, everybody's going to have like a different arrangement of like, okay, well, this time I have a lot of access to sheep and ore. I haven't had that before starting to play a game. Like, what is that? What is my optimal like way to to victory look like? Well, and it does become kind of a group game in a way, because at a certain point, if you realize somebody is poised to win, you can all kind of work and together. And that is what is so, the other sort of fascinating heat to the game is that in order to, realistically, in order to win, you have to trade. There's a part of the round for every player's turn where everybody can can trade with that player. And you have to do that, right? Like, you, you are not going to be able to have a monopoly on every resource in the game and you're going to need something from somebody at some point so then it's a question of just like well i really need the thing that you are offering me but i also know that the thing i would give you in return would perhaps win you the game so that social aspect is like kind of integral to the game and adds like a a a huge huge layer of complexity to it because now not only are you playing your game you have to sort of mentally play everybody else's game too to make sure that you don't end your game by trading away the wrong thing yeah it's so 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 like it gets at these like primal board game concepts uh and a lot of them too without like getting way way too complicated about them there are a lot of different expansions to to the game uh the main one i think is a five to six player expansion that makes it so you can play with more people we typically play that every time we play but then there's like seafarers and uh what are the other ones knights and cities and uh traders and barbarians like there's all kinds of different flavors that add things or add different sort of like campaigns and scenarios but just the basic Catan is not that complicated. The rules aren't complicated, but like the the mental calculations you have to do while you are playing it and paying attention to having sort of situational awareness is like super, super complicated. There was a, um, it, it, the game was created by Klaus Tuber who released it in, in Germany in 1995. And it birthed sort of this huge wave of German board games that went global. Uh, like it, this, this genre of game was like huge in, in, in Germany, but it wasn't until Catan that it sort of had broad crossover appeal when it like reached the States and, and everywhere else and became like, like this uh, huge, huge thing. Like don't break the ice. Like, yeah. Uh, Yeti and my spaghetti, mm-hmm. like, you know, these German classics. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this prolific RPG designer whose name is Richard Dansky, who, uh, wrote about the game. And this quote, I think like really, really perfectly summarizes, like what makes it so brilliant uh he wrote it's a resource management game defined by position and strategizing it's a social game defined by horse trading of resource cards and sicking the fritz as my friends call the robber with bloodthirsty bonhomie it is a game of chance ruled by dice rolls and card draws it's a hardcore game and a light social pastime and everything in between a laboratory where i can test a hundred different play styles and a genuine reason to invite friends over like it's it ticks all the boxes of things that I like about playing board games. And it does it in a package that like for, I think is pretty well tested at this point, at least locally it it, like works for everyone, which is so rare. It's so rare. There's just enough luck involved that 
you know, if you are somebody that hasn't won before, you know, it, it doesn't mean that you're never going to win. Yeah. And I feel like that's what can be really appealing when you have a group of people who may or may not be board game enthusiasts is like, if you sit down with a bunch of people and you feel like, well, I'm never going to win, you know, you're less likely to invest the time. But this one, I feel like... I feel like everybody has won. We've yeah. played, we have played dozens and dozens and dozens of games of Catan with our friends. And I feel like everybody's won at least once. Yeah. It is, uh, it is, it's pretty, I mean, it's probably the perfect board game. <laughs> I don't think you can do much better than it. And boy, howdy. Except for the Adventure Zone game. The Adventure Zone game, which, yeah. Is perfect. Is really good. And oh God, I wish, I really wish I could memorize the URL for that. <laughs> but it's on McElroy Family, I think. <laughs> McElroyFamily.com. You can probably find a link to McElroy, it. No, McElroy.Family. McElroy.Family. I think we have a few hyperlinks that'll get you there. <laughs> Uh, here's some submissions from our friends at home. Catherine says, my wonderful thing is choosing the right kitchen tool to get the job done. My partner and I recently expanded our kitchen tool collection, and there's nothing more satisfying than having the right flexible plastic spatula to scrape the sides of a bowl clean or the proper sturdy metal spatula to get all the crispy bits off the bottom of a pan. I forgot to tell you, that box right there does have a new set of wooden kitchen instruments that don't add a crazy wood <laughs> like a crazy sandalwood flavor and smell to the okay. food that we cook it with okay. there's like 13 wood tools in there i'm so stoked god <laughs> almighty i love wooden cooking tools okay uh yeah you know what when you started reading that submission i instantly thought of the spatula because it's one of those tools that i almost never use and then when i remember we have it i'm like oh my gosh oh, this is the perfect thing this is it this is what i need right now mm-hmm. uh and katie says now that it's actually chilly outside one of my favorite things is going outside real quick without a jacket to take the trash out or grab something from my car then coming back inside and feeling the very warm cozy air mm. Mm, that's good too got cold here for a bit in austin got warm again gonna get cold again soon i guess i had to run something outside and i was in bare feet and i came back in the house like that sucked and i just sat by the fireplace and was just like "Ooh, that's good <laughs> uh hey thank you for for listening thank you yeah. to bowen and augustus for the use of our theme song money won't pay and you can find a link to that in the episode description Thanks to Maximum Fun for having us on the network. Check out all the good shows on MaximumFun.org. Yeah, a lot of really good, a lot of really, really good stuff. I was excited actually. This week's Stop Podcasting Yourself has Rhea Butcher on it. Oh, great. Yeah, like the nicest people all on one show. I do love that. Um, and thank you all to be hmm. thank you all to be good. Thank you all to be good. Thank you all for being patient with us as yes. we figure out a recording schedule. That will work for us. Yeah. Each it's, week. It's, um, yeah. I think what we are experiencing is what a lot of people are experiencing, which is you have a very careful card house built right now. Yeah. And if one card comes loose, you realize you have nothing. Yeah. And so that is what we are figuring out. And then uh, it's like, and then all of a sudden you're the president. And then, like, I guess the, you have a, you, uh, your chief of staff is a real bad guy. Oh, House of Cards. I see. And I see. Then, I see. Um, yes. And then, and then yes. I guess you died, and, but you didn't see You didn't me. see <laughs> I can't start fucking thinking about Kevin Spacey's Christmas time video. I mean, we do watch it every year because of just how fucking, how, just how sad it is, but also how buck wild it is. You got to send that to Justin right now. Oh, I got to. We got to go so I can send that to Justin. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.